why is this Michael Beale thing being made an issue of? We are fucking shite. <laughs> we're a terribly coached team. Like we constantly look lost. Our patterns of play are about as discernible as Gary Neville's mustache. <laughs> this is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. I must say, this is going to be hard knowing what to talk about when we can't just come on here spitting fury, calling someone a cunt. It's going to be a whole, whole new challenge for us, but it is a season review slash season preview. I don't want to call it a season preview, it's too far away, but um, I suppose we'll figure it out as we go along in this podcast. I asked people to send us some questions, and they did. I'll read out some of them later on, but uh, one question was, is this a season review? podcast and i suppose yeah i can put that to you now liam is this a season review podcast <laughs> it was really your domain conan whenever you started the podcast there i thought you were going to say so we're going to have to talk about the international football so because <laughs> luckily enough we had the irish team to occupy us by oh. fucking seven o'clock yesterday i was kneeling on the sofa head and hands looking out the window that's the direction my eyes were facing anyway i wasn't taking any of it in and i just let out an involuntary sigh of oh, i hate ireland and there was genuine concern behind me. What was it? What was it? Like they, they could have been expecting anything to come back. Cost of living, homelessness, fucking dysfunctional hair self service. Well, we're playing Ukraine a quarter to eight. <laughs> I just don't think they appreciate it. Just how fucking sick I am of seeing Jeff Hendrick play through balls that he knows aren't on. Uh-huh. He fucking knows, Conan. But he's playing them anyway to look like he's doing something. He's actually mm-hmm. passing the ball to the opposition keeper to make it look like he's doing something. That's where we're fucking at. But anyway, let's talk about Villa. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot we had a game last night. We can just come on here. <laughs> you know what the worst thing about Jeff Henrik is? There, strap yourselves in. This is going to be a Jeff Henrik hour. He, like ninety percent of the things he does, he knows he doesn't know when he's going to lose the ball. You know, like, he. he he sort of waddles in slow motion, just waiting for someone to take the ball off him or block his pass or shot. And he does it anyway. And the worst thing, the, I wouldn't even mind if it was the Buendia factor where he's doing it, trying to make something happen. He is never trying to make anything happen. And he still loses the ball. And he still does this stuff that's nothing and, and does it knowingly that he's going to lose the ball. Uh, yeah, let's like let's oh let's let's hope we're not going to have Jeff Henderson <laughs> talk about it any longer, and let's hope yeah I've just got this image burned into my head of the two midfielders for Ireland just sitting alongside the three centre backs, and it's like the Ukraine team are looking at them all. There's five of the right field players. There's only ten outfield players, and there's five of them are standing in the middle of the fence as Ireland have the ball, looking to move forward, and all the Ukraine team are just looking at them, going, "What are you doing?" Yeah, absolutely pointless. And it's even more pointless whenever Ukraine had the ball as well because I've never seen anyone more than Josh Cullen win as many tackles and never end up with a ball afterwards. <laughs> He's so close to being a brilliant tackler. Fucking useless bastard. Anyway. Yeah. Well, let's go through the Vimin meter. Um, Jason Knight going up. <laughs> Chidozi Ogbeni, some people are saying he was going down. I think he's the only one making it now. I'm worried um, <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a season review of Aston Villa season. We'll touch on a lot of other things along the way. We've got a bit of a England chat as well coming up for any England England national who's tuned in here thinking, what the fuck am I listening to? Why am I listening to Jeff Henrik and Josh Cullen? I don't even know who Josh Cullen is, I bet is what they're saying. 
But um, he's playing for Anderlecht, by the way. Anyway, a season that started with Nuno Espirito Santo at Spurs, Benitez at Everton, Bruce at Newcastle, Solskjaer at United, Cisco Munoz at Watford, and a lot of other managers at Watford along the way. <laughs> Dean Smith at Aston Villa. <laughs> Here we are. We've come to the end of it. We said it was going to be 9th to 14th. We finished 14th. How do you sum it all up, Liam? Like, what? <laughs> we... <laughs> maybe, maybe we should go through some of the things that have happened actually first since we've been away. So, been a few new signings: Bubakar Kamara, bang, straight in; Diogo Carlos, bang, straight in. This is all in May, all in the week after Villa had lost their their last game of the season. Um, Robin Olsen, bang, made permanent. Now I do not like like this. This is. The, you know, this Villa admin's added a game with subkeepers. He's getting <laughs> us, he's trying to get us excited about subkeepers. I'm just waiting for the Kalinach update. But uh, I just got this notification saying we are delighted. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, to confirm Robin Olsen. Okay, like it doesn't count. Like he's a subkeeper and we already had him on the books. Don't, don't get me too excited. Just confirm it. We can confirm Robin Olsen is now permanent and move on and we can all move on. But uh, Kamara, Carlos, good signings. Newcastle fans seem a bit annoyed for some reason. What the fuck's <laughs> their problem? Yeah, raging that we signed the player they wanted, but then mercilessly slagging us off for signing that player. Like, <laughs> either I don't have the cognitive ability to figure that one out, or the hamster at the controls inside the heads of a bunch of lads who would take their top offs whenever they see a barcode. Hasn't, <laughs> hasn't seen the incongruity either. Diego, Diego Carlos, I am interested to see what's going on, what's going to happen here because it's a lot of money to be thrown around for a centre half, particularly one approaching thirty. Unless you think he's better than what we have, and to be honest, there are plenty of moments <laughs> during the course of that season where that's not difficult to believe. But I hear, I hear he is prone to a regular lapse in concentration and the odd howler as well. So at least he's not going to disrupt the group dynamic. I mean, he should fit right in. <laughs> Interestingly, I don't know how much this means, but it does count for something. Whoscored.com tells me that he did play on the left side of the centre-back partnership um, all last season. I didn't, I didn't bother going back to the season before or whatever, but that seems to be where he plays. Initially, when Villa signed him, the talk from the journalists who were being fed information, obviously, were saying that they're still looking for another centre-half. They were saying they're, they're looking for a left-sided centre-half now, and I thought, oh, that's interesting because he seemed to play there the whole year. And, you know, it might make a bit of sense especially for Steven Gerrard, because Mings was his best centre-back this season. Um, but now the news has come out that they're no longer looking for uh, another centre-half. Like, that's it. They've moved on. So, who do you think is under most pressure here? Like, it's it's not good timing for Konza, who's been injured and who's sort of been in and out of the team anyway. Not that much, but he has been in and out way more than you'd think he would be. And, yeah, he, he, he was prone to a few mistakes this season as well. Yeah, well, the Conta's going to miss a significant... I'd be surprised if Conta plays for Villa before Christmas. He could be out for fucking ages and he'll find it difficult to get back in if this lad is a £30 million centre-half. I'd be surprised if it's not Carlos and Ming starting. I've heard that Carlos can play on either side and he was playing left side to accommodate the other guy. But that could just be bullshit as well. Yeah. Got a new assistant manager uh, as well <laughs> what a coup like this this is um football manager stuff isn't it when you're <laughs> you're playing the game and you just go to the lower league and try to scout an actual manager and bring him into your backroom team it never happens usually on football manager <laughs> you just like sometimes you do it when you replace a manager you take over aston villa 
Tim Sherwood has now gone free. Why is, why is he the manager I associate with Aston Villa? So now you immediately try to sign him as part of your backroom team. He doesn't take it, obviously, because he's a manager. But here we are. Critchley has come in. The Gerrard effect has talked him back round. And he's part of the team. And a man with a great CV. It's, it's exciting stuff. Yeah, I mean, to have a manager of promotion under his belt coming in as assistant has to be viewed positively. And you would imagine there's already a solid working relationship there. And we'll assume... Gerard has looked at his own skills and the rest of the staff and found a gap that Critchley will now fill. And hopefully, hopefully that skill is that he's a sex psychologist and he can get to work on the number of disturbing fetishes that plague this Aston Villa team. <laughs> Ming's hoofing the ball, McGinn arson his way into trouble, or Gerard's masochistic tendencies manifested in playing Leon Beatty all fucking year. <laughs> we'll talk a bit more about Michael Beale later. You mentioned Newcastle fans. They are delighted. I think everybody's delighted. I've never seen a transfer more mutually uh, joyful for everyone involved. Newcastle have just come and spent £15 million of real money and brought Matt Target to their club. Now, there's so many different ways you can look at this. Like, I think he did all right at Newcastle. He was all right when Villa tightened up. He was a disaster of the season for Villa. Like, last year started off like a car crash and then he ended up being quite good from November onwards. Uh, this season, it was just you know one disaster after the other. That's why they spent big for a left back in the, in the January transfer window. But <sighs> Newcastle are now in their first summer with their new ownership. Expected to spend big. You know the words are oyster. They broke the record of January spending already, and this is what they went for first. You know they spend a, a lot of money on a left back, and it's my target. And you know I have to imagine the team. Was, did they finish in the top four based on form since Eddie Howe took over? Like they, they, they're going to, they're going to at least have expectations of being attacking and being ambitious in, in more ways than one. Definitely on the field, and Matt Target in an attacking open team is not a good sight. These boys have not experienced that yet, and and we're seeing a lot of Newcastle fans really badly. Attempting to troll Aston Villa fans by saying they've taken their best left back. You know, <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. Everyone, else, everyone saying thanks to each other, and Villa are basically saying thanks for covering the cost of Coutinho and Kamara combined. Like you, know, th- <laughs> thanks for letting us upgrade to look at Dina, like one one of the best left backs we could have, and we've upgraded to him from my target for ten million essentially. Like that, that's what's happened now because this is finally a big price we've gotten in for somebody going out and it couldn't it couldn't be anybody better really for all sorts of reasons uh, yeah so matt target won't be in the won't be in the newcastle team next season um they just it won't happen he'll be immediately upgraded on as well because we'll always have those five months when he wasn't shit to look back on and thanks for that matt target is an incredibly limited footballer and the most remarkable thing about his aston villa career is that he was quite good for 20 or 25 games in the middle of it but yeah. he spent he spent the last four months of his aston villa career looking like he was auditioning for honey i shrunk the kids with the amount of time he spent face down crawling through the grass <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it's a it's a deal that everybody's happy with. You know, you've got your left back, Newcastle. Thanks for the fifteen million. Since we last came, Real Madrid won the Champions League. I mean, Martinez lifted another international trophy. It seems to be what Argentina do now that they've brought in Emmy Martinez. Man City. Speaking of Argentina, you know, if they thought Erling Haaland 
wasn't enough. They needed to go out and, and buy Julian Alvarez as well, just for the bench. And that's if, if Haaland starts, because we know Pep doesn't like strikers. Um, so now you've got Julian Alvarez, who basically, in the Copa Libertadores, in the Champions League final of South America, scored six goals. Six goals. This is Man City's new sub-striker. And the only other bit of news, really, is that Southampton are about to make the signing of the season in Gavin Bazunu. That's right, we're going back to Ireland talk, but this goalkeeper is a phenomenal talent. He's on the books at Man City. He's been all known. He's Ireland's number one. He's brilliant. He's he's big. He's commanding. He's got a presence. He's confident. He's an amazing shot stopper. Saved a Ronaldo penalty. He's good of his feet. He gives so much assurance. He'll jink inside. He'll make a mistake and not worry about it. I mean a mistake as in, ooh, ooh, and he'll recover from it. This boy <laughs> this boy can go anywhere. And it's funny, don't blame him. Why, why the hell would Southampton fans know them? I've seen some of them re- uh, replying to that athletic story that are, that are breaking that Bazzini seems to be going there. And they're all saying, don't know who he is, but great. And it's like, you do not know what you're in for. You're, you are in for a treat. If Villa didn't have Emmy Martinez, I would be crying right now about Villa not getting this man. He is incredible. Yeah, he's he's a brilliant goalkeeper and he's so young. I mean, he'll get to wherever he wants to get to in the game from what I've seen from playing for Ireland. And that is absolutely up to him if he wants to be the best goalkeeper in the world. He'll, he'll be <laughs> pushing that ceiling. And you would just have to hope that Hassan Huddle's annual 9-0 defeat doesn't dent his confidence too much as he's trying to progress <laughs> further in his career. And yeah, Emmy Martinez, it's just a constant relief to me that he's having and that it began at Villa, that he's having such a success on the international stage because that's that's one less excuse he can use for leaving when he decides that finishing 14th isn't for him. <laughs> that's that's definitely just born out of the decades of paranoia that comes of supporting Villa. But it just wouldn't be a surprise if someone like Real Madrid came in for him. And speaking of Real Madrid, fucking... How did Ancelotti win the Champions League against this Liverpool team with a team that has a fucking centre midfielder playing as a right-sided forward and a headless chicken that's just down the line of Cokes playing on the other side? <laughs> But with a team with fucking Cafu, Nesta, Stam, Maldini, Pirlo, Gattuso, Seedorf, Kaka, Shevchenko, Crespo, <laughs> he lost a fucking Jimmy Terori's Liverpool. What the fuck is going on there? <laughs> I I forgot about the... Obviously, everybody remembers that AC Milan team and that Liverpool team. I forgot the connection that Ancelotti was in charge of <laughs> that AC Milan team and bettered this Liverpool team with that Real Madrid team. That That's an amazing connection. Yeah, mad stuff. Yeah, only other bit of news before we get on to the big question of the season. Um, Harry Maguire went back to the England camp to find his form. <laughs> Don't know if he found it. He uh, he was at the England camp anyway. He was playing for them. And yet again, Harry Maguire is just vacating the left centre-back position, the, the position that, that only he can help England play in a back four. Like It's at the stage where I think John Stones is England's best defender. What's, what's that telling you about? And John Stones, I couldn't believe. I don't know if you remember Jordan Pickford. <laughs> Jordan Pickford was bad enough for the goal. Like it's Harry Maguire's getting drawn to the ball, just comes out of the fence. Nobody decides to call him to come back. When the ball is played around him into his open space, it takes him two hours to turn around and see what's happening. Jordan Pickford should do better. But just before that, a ball went, you know, just broke up into the air, deflected off someone. And Havertz just gave up on it. It was like, ah, well, you know, the keeper can use his hands, so I'll just duck 
I'll just get out of the way here in case I get hurt by this madman. And of <laughs> course, Jordan Pickford goes full madman and jumps up with one swinging fist, trying to punch it, gets a really shit connection, and it falls over the top of Havertz. And John Stones is giving out to you. Like, imagine John Stones giving out to you about your ability in the air. <laughs> That's not how you deal with a high ball. Listen, oh! <laughs> Like, I didn't, I didn't see the game, but I've seen the stills of Harry Maguire, and it, it doesn't look good. <laughs> it doesn't look surprising either. And look, Conan has it's just a, he's a front footed defender. Is is <laughs> normally his front foot is fifteen yards in front of the ball. It's it is strange that we're all watching the world's most expensive defender trying to learn how to defend. He's he's twenty nine. He's not going to get the there job. in time. <laughs> If he was 19, he wouldn't be getting there anyway. I mean, he just doesn't have the skill set, the physical attributes, or the mental capacity. And we have to stop pretending this is a period of bad form. Like it's not, it's not fair on Maguire. It's almost mental abuse. He's running around thinking he can do this. He can get back to being a top centre back. Harry, you were never a top centre back. It was a cruel, practical joke played by the Glazers. <laughs> you have to believe me, Harry. Give it up. <laughs> Andy McFarlane sent us a message. <laughs> Shag, Mari, kill. Harry Maguire, Gareth Southgate. Piece of double insulated electrical wire. <laughs> well, I, I, I definitely marry the double insulated electrical wire anyway for its undoubted superior conversation skills. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say shag that. Just shag that, get it out of the way. It would be sore, painful. Might do you a bit of damage, but just just go through that pain and then you know kill one of them. And the, the marriage, or like we, we all know, a lot of marriages of convenience, and where you can just both do your own thing. <laughs> I was immediately just thinking of shagging Maguire because he just needs he needs to feel loved at this stage. <laughs> kill kill Southgate like he's killed England's hopes of winning a major tournament. Like, like he killed the dream of greedy, greedy Sleeton Villa to Europe by telling him he needs to be playing at a top team to get picked for England while playing Hudson Odoi from the under-23s at Chelsea. <laughs> One final thing to talk about before we move on to the categories. End of season categories, really. Um, where, like, where are Villa at? Like, do you think they were and are or and or are better off with Steven Gerrard than Dean Smith, because obviously that was the big change that happened this season. Gerrard did say in his first press conference that he was here for a reason, because the other manager had taken to a place where the club deemed it wasn't good enough. So Gerrard knew that he had to get them up the table. We heard all season about getting us up the table um, and finished 14th. Not far behind 11th, <laughs> but we still finished 14th. That's the facts. Yeah, I mean... In, in terms of quality of player, we now seem to be able to attract. We're absolutely, yeah. infinitely better off. In terms of the quality of football we're playing and even the results, no, we're not, we're not better off at all. I mean, all the pieces fell into place for it. I mean, Smith had to go primarily the dreadful form for a year when Grealish wasn't in the team and then Grealish being sold <laughs> and a particularly bad run of form then as well. I mean, I think... But it's important to remember that the last 11 games of the season, we picked up less points than we did in the first 11 of the season under Smith. Wow. We we won the we won the three games before those 11, which is great. And I think it included Brighton and Southampton as well, so not absolute duds. 
But before that, we'd only won one in seven, and that was against Duncan Ferguson's Everton. So we were absolutely fucking dreadful, dreadful after the initial five-game bounce. Like I think we had three wins and two one-goal defeats to Liverpool and City in that time. But the next 22 games, we beat Brighton and Southampton, and we had two wins against Norwich and a win against Burnley both relegated, and we beat the other two teams that were in the relegation scrap until the last week of the season. We were really fucking bad. But the most annoying thing for me is that the players on the pitch, players on the pitch were the, the only thing that really demarcated the, the change in manager. Like We were dreadful to watch as well. We were clueless. We, we looked long and we looked back, same as we did under Dean Smith. We pressed a bit more, but it typically, typically wasn't very effective and certainly not in the scoreboard. I mean, it's taken Stephen Gerrard a long time to implement whatever it is he thinks he's trying to implement. And I would have a bit of concern that we're going to be fed a load of, it's not his team excuses. Good managers make anyone's team better. And Gerrard hasn't shown that at Aston Villa. Yeah, like the difference between Antonio Conte, Spurs, you know, can't be ignored. Um, That's it. Like, there... I think what annoys me is that our best result of the season came at Old Trafford uh, under Dean Smith. We didn't, like, you know, we spoke about it enough. We didn't get any big results. A win against Leicester was good. Leicester weren't the same force as they were last season. Last season, we beat Liverpool, we beat Chelsea, we beat Spurs, we beat Arsenal twice. Didn't get any of those results this season. Like, you're not even close to him. Like, we had a couple of good, yeah, in that first burst of Gerrard's. We were good against Liverpool and City, but you know, we were never going to win. Didn't get a point in those games. Um, and when the question comes to me, like, what do you think of Gerrard? It's always very much like, yeah, let's let's see, you know. And it's not to be sniffed at that he can get better players like that. That is a big quality of a manager. And yeah, B that he can actually knock that money and confidence out of the people above him as well. Like, you want those those qualities in a manager. Um, so I do think. Villa will be in a better place in terms of the team and the caliber of player they have going forward and uh, maybe the profile is even lifted as well uh, they need to improve he's got a summer now he talked about having a no excuse culture which I loved but let's have no excuses now like he's going to, he's had a January and now he's going to have a summer and he's getting a lot of backing very early let's get your team on board and, and let's see what you can do but he, I think he's going to experience what it's like to be a Villa manager from the start of the season now, next season, especially the way it ended last year or the way it, it, it just meandered along in those last 11 games. Like it was, it was frustrating. People were pissed off all the way though. People thinking, right, let's, let's get to the summer and let's see what he can do. And now he's, he's going to get that opportunity. But I think as soon as the season starts, it's, he, he's, Fair game, though, like every other Aston Villa manager. It's it's let's see what you can do, and uh, if you can't do it, then you're going to be under pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's an e- I've heard some people say as well. You know, well there was nothing to play for, and so it was you know a kind of a fake end to the season. There was loads to play for. Yeah. I think we only finished eleven points behind fucking West Ham. Oh. I mean, like eleven points across twenty two games isn't very difficult to pick up. We did. We just were dreadful. The players weren't motivated, and he was talking about rising up the table he wanted to finish higher but he couldn't get his players to buy into that which is another worrying aspect of what he didn't achieve last year yeah anyway we'll leave that there and we'll come back with some end of season categories don't know if they're awards or not but they're definitely categories see you there
Let's start with the most fined player of the season. <laughs> there were a lot of weeks' wages being docked all throughout the year. Um, and it's, it's usual suspects, obviously. So the, the ones in contention, Matt Cash for his crosses, he probably started this uh, <laughs> this section, but it was, it was always included in WhatsApp winges. Um, mostly for, well, actually, firstly, for him kicking it out for a goal kick when he's trying to cross it into the box from the right-hand side. <laughs> and then when he just started kicking it off people's ankles. So he picked up a lot of uh, fines along the way. Tyrone Mings for his find and touch propensity. Like, not not crossing it out of play actually just kicking the ball out for a throw <laughs> <laughs> Matt Target and uh, Kanza for when they started to introduce diving into their art of defending which was always very risky Joe McGinn for shooting from 40 yards and the overuse of his arse uh, Stephen Gerrard Austin McPhee letting Douglas Louise hit set pieces <laughs> um, was, that, was that the most frustrating thing of the season? While we're honest, like Douglas Louise hitting set pieces when all those players were on the pitch. Like the only other thing I can think of is uh, the, the time Bailey took a throw in. Like that stands out in my head. Matt Cash can over to the left hand side. <laughs> Matt Cash can over to the left to take a short throw in. And uh, Dean Smith, I think it was the Southampton game where it was like, What are you chatting to Craig Shakespeare about? Do something. <laughs> it was a classic. <laughs> Classic, I need my pal here beside me now because I know there's a lot of eyeballs on me and everything's going badly wrong. So they just, they just spoke for the whole match and nothing ever got acted on. But I think nothing tops Douglas O'Ree standing over a free kick. Yeah, I mean, the genesis of the award is somebody putting an outswinging cross out of play. <laughs> I had nautical stuff. Towards the end of the season as well, I was starting to believe it wasn't just McGinn that was having pot shots, and we talked about it a fair bit. It was just Maddie Cash starting to believe his own hype and shooting from absolutely ridiculous angles. We're going to have to keep an eye on that and maybe introduce a finance system for preposterous shots from Maddie Cash from ridiculous angles that end up going. <laughs> but yeah, doggy hitting set pieces was insane. How long it persisted and with absolutely no outcome. But I think the worst thing of the whole season was whenever Douglas Louise dummied a corner. I'm all I'm all for trying trying new things for innovating. I mean, it's good to be open minded, but we shouldn't be so open minded that our fucking brains fall out. I mean, <laughs> out of this world nonsense. Um, yeah. Look, Tyrone Mings was fine the most. Uh, all season like he, for his find and touch and, and maybe we, we ended up finding him for passing the ball backwards without looking <laughs> he has a, an awful habit of doing that but you're probably a, it's the, whatever the opposite of a bonus is we should look at now at the end of the season and like Douglas Louise you want to punish the most but I have to look at Austin McPhee I have to look like this is his department and he is overseeing us like it, it's on him that Douglas Louise is hitting these free kicks and and dummy in corners. <laughs> when he's dummy in corners, he's stepping up to hit the next one and hit the next free kick. And yeah, like uh, maybe Austin McPhee now deserves the biggest fine of it all after you know after the whole season's been finished and after the praise this man was getting for the very start. And Villa were brilliant in that five six game period where they were catching teams on the hop and then. We just never got to speak about him anymore, which probably should be the way, really, for a set-piece coach. But um, all the while, there he was, just letting Douglas Louise hit everything. Yeah, about five games in as well, he just decided that because 
big Courtney scored that header against Man United, but yeah. he would just try to do that corner every fucking game. <laughs> that became absolutely ridiculous. But though I think the, the biggest crime that he introduced was convincing Dean Smith at the start of the year that long throw-ins were an untapped source of, of goals. And worse again, was believing that Matty Cash could throw the ball on. I mean, there's so many things <laughs> that went wrong there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, in fairness to Gerard, he just came in and said, "Well, now nah, we're not doing that. You know, let's, <laughs> let's just throw the ball and go. Like, let's get the ball back and play, play some football." Um, yeah. So Tyrone Mings is the has the most volume of fines, but I'd say overall, now Austin McPhee has to accumulate the the biggest docking of his wages. Um, the RIP Anthony Margaret Award for Player Week did or could lose. Uh, this one came courtesy of Stefan Driscoll. Thanks for the for the suggestion for the award. Um, where do you start, really? Like, so player we did or could lose. Um, maybe maybe we should extend that to not just players, coaching staff as well. Michael Beal is gone. He is gone. We have lost him. Uh, God. That... <laughs> what? Sorry, hang on. Why? Why is this Michael Beal thing being made an issue of? We are fucking shite. <laughs> We're a terribly coached team. Like we constantly look lost. Our patterns of player is about as discernible as Gary Neville's mustache. The, the players look like they have no motivation. Tyrone Mings is playing in a kick fada competition against himself, and he's losing every game. It's unbelievable. We're fucking dreadful. And as if the fucking the coaching genius behind all this couldn't possibly be lose, be lost. Who gives a flying fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, initially I was a bit concerned, thinking, "Oh, you know, Gerard's never been without this boy. You know, he's 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 known him from Liverpool to Rangers to to now." And and then I thought, "Hang on, like we haven't actually achieved anything. We haven't achieved anything. We haven't achieved a big result. We haven't looked at ourselves over a prolonged period and thought, wow, that is something. It's actually just utter frustration and.'" questions of like why can't we do this or why can't we do more of that or why is the fuck is that happening um and the guy who's supposed to do most of the coaching is gone and yeah if if this is the job he's leaving from i'd say okay (laughs) (laughs) we could probably deal with that like yeah we could we could probably lose whatever it was he was doing it's like that thing and Nobody wants to be the person in work where if you're off, nobody cares, nobody notices. <laughs> you, know, you have to have some sort of impact on the place. And I just don't know. Maybe it's a short spell of time, but I just don't know if Michael Beale really has had that big of impact because all all we're talking about, all Gerard's talking about, all anybody wants is more and better players. And Beale wasn't getting the most out of the players that we had. Not more than anybody else, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, rest in peace. It's shit that he's dead, but I'm not going to his fucking funeral. <laughs> Matt Target, happy enough? Delighted. <laughs> what I'm worried about, Bertrand Terori. Like, you know, I, I think this could be the, the season that he leaves, and who would replace him? Like, it's such a... Ah, uh, he's such a character. I don't, I don't know him personally whatsoever. <laughs> don't know what his personality's like. <laughs> whatsoever but the way he plays football the the attitude that he brings to the game like I, I just i just don't know who we could be comparing who else we could be comparing to a sloppy bacon cheeseburger other than bertrand Shirori, who fills that void there, there is no substitute really i mean you can dick around with 
with black bean burgers or beetroot burgers all you want. You know, even try a Linda McCartney mozzarella burger, Connor. It's just not going to be the same. But let's be honest, Bertrand Terori played about fucking nine substitute appearances last season. Spent the rest of it just staring through his snoot. We're not, we're not going to miss Bertrand Terori. I'm going to miss him. I am going to miss him. Um, person we did miss this season. I don't know how much you agree. And I definitely don't want to miss him next season. Cameron Archer. Cameron Archer, who went out and loan in January, banged in a load of goals for Preston, and still finished as Aston Villa's fifth highest scorer <laughs> for the season. Only behind, one goal behind uh, Coutinho, behind Ramsey, behind Ings and, and Watkins, who scored, I think they scored 18 between them in the Premier League. It's, you want both of them scoring 18? Um <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a big ask but yeah I like Cameron Archer I think we could have done with him this season considering how much we played two up top and you know maybe it was good for him to go out and score goals he gets a he gets his second touch for England under 21s he scores again as well lovely play from Anthony Gordon to be honest maybe we should take him and recreate that move but uh yeah Cameron Archer I want to see him in the squad next season yeah, I thought it was I thought it was bizarre. I think we said this at the time that he was allowed to go because we were playing, we were looking like we were trying to play two up front a few times, and it was just it was mad to persist with only with no no substitute strikers. I mean, we were bringing Leon Bailey on up top yeah, in a few Smartin. games. Yeah, and it, like, exactly, and even even when we were playing, even when we were playing well, and it was just clearly one of the players weren't on form. We 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 had to just persist with them. Or we had to bring on Leon Bailey up front. I mean, it was a ridiculous situation to allow ourselves to, to end up in. By the same token, Keenan Davis is in the same conversation. I think Cameron Archer elevated himself above him. Like he was getting plenty of game time at Villa as well. That's the thing. It's not like he wasn't like he wasn't being used or that he couldn't have been used going forward. But uh, Davis went to Forest and did really well. Got an injury, and they love him down there. I, I don't know. I think this is. I think this could be a move that would be mutually beneficial and actually in reality, not like a Matt Target one. I like you won't see a flicker of emotion for me if we if we lost Keenan Davis. I mean, yeah, he's a he's a good lad and he's a he's a bit of a battering ram, but he's he's nowhere near what we need. And what has he scored one league goal for us? And I think he probably only scored four or five for Forrest as well. I mean, he's absolutely not the type of player that we need in the team. That league goal was that one against West Brom as well. I remember that. So it was just, I don't, uh, did it deflect off him? Did, did, did somebody try to clear it and hit off him? Or he just nipped in when the ball was bouncing along the line? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last weird. minute to draw Sam Allardyce's West Brom. Um, uh, another suggestion for a player we could lose. Um, R.I.P. Andy Margaret maybe isn't uh, in great taste considering he seemed to be in a car crash based on social media there. I think everybody's fine. So it's okay. Uh, Leon Bailey. Um, not, not that we could, lo- I don't know. I don't know if we'd lose him, but would you miss him? <laughs> and to be honest, like I felt like I was at this boy's wick about 19 times a season, like just watching him lying along the ground, seeing somebody give treatment or stand over him. <laughs> like it feels like we did lose him for a lot of the season. He kept getting injured when he came on. Um, was out for periods, and that's that's unfortunate for him as well. And now going forward, I'm like, oh, is he is he is he the real deal? I don't know. I, I just don't know if I've seen enough from him to, to to really say that he is. Yeah, I mean, we've already said our goodbyes. We just we just haven't pulled the plug yet. We've just been standing by the hospital bed all year. It it is strange that um, the, the, 
there is reason to be excited about Leon Bailey because there is no way that he could have been persistent. Jared could have been so persistent with picking him if there isn't an absolutely lethal footballer in there. Because mm-hmm. Leon Bailey couldn't have given Stephen Jared any more reason to drop him, but he just kept not dropping him. So there is still a little bit of optimism for me in there. And he was so ravaged with injuries for so much of the season that, yeah, maybe he never was back at full fitness. But let's give him this year as well before we completely toss him on the heap. <laughs> yeah, there were times at the start of last season where I thought, oh, this boy looks good. And then obviously the Everton performance was something else. I feel like he tried too hard. Like, he was just trying far too hard. Like Everything he was doing, he was trying to... It was just, he was telegraphing all his punches. He was getting blocked down every time. He was trying to run with it when I don't know how much ability he has in those tight areas. And like the more he he pedaled, like the, the, like the more he was sinking, it was just, ah, it was, he just needs to let the game come to him a bit more. Like just relax. It's like, it's a, I was going to say it's a 90 minute game, it's a 68 minute game, and then we'll bring Bundy on. <laughs> You've got over an hour, like you'll get plenty of opportunities. Don't worry, like there'll be times on the break if you just relax, like you can sit one out and the ball will come to you the next time. Just make the run, do the right thing, pop it off, go again. Just got the ball and try to shoot every time. I'm talking about John again, but like, my god, like this was worse from Leon Bailey, really. Yeah, yeah, he, he was he was absolutely definitely reaching for every game he was playing in, and he was he was never getting there. His fingertips couldn't have been further away from the game. He was so erratic whenever he got on the ball, blind alleys. Um, like he was, his shooting. I mean, you're, you're right to point out his shooting because that was just ridiculous. It was just into a forest of legs constantly, and the trees weren't moving anywhere. It was just it was pathetic stuff from him. But the winner of the RIP Anti Margaret Award for a player we lost, really, is obviously Jack Grealish. She went in the summer. Um, never, we got Coutinho in, whether that's probably one of the biggest shames as well. It's like, oh, you know, wouldn't that be nice to see those two play together? <laughs> um, but yeah, Villa didn't recover. Obviously, they, they missed him for 12 games last season. Was the points per game with him last season? Fifth place, we would have finished. Um, but yeah, this season then, big hole. My target got worse. <laughs> You know, it was just, uh, uh, I don't know, the Villa players just seemed shell-shocked in his absence and took a long time to try and recover from it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, we have to have a Jack Reedus conversation again, do we? No, we certainly do not have to have a Jack Reedus conversation. But like, the, the, really, the really annoying thing about um, the players not recovering from it as well, like they really fucking didn't do themselves justice. Like I was saying whenever I was, you know, talking about the fact that Dean Smith spent a lot of money being a complete red herring, that that was, that was nonsense. The only question you had to ask was, were the players that Dean Smith had this bad? And they, and they weren't. And so Dean Smith had to go. And the players, Aston Villa, <laughs> at the minute, are definitely not as bad as they're fucking playing. And they couldn't have looked like they cared less than a lot of the games towards the end of the season. And they need to fucking sort that out. Yeah. Most mispronounced name of the season. <laughs> Suggestion from Phil. I think everybody knows what the winner is here, but we might as well go through the rest of them first. Uh, I've got... I've got... <laughs> I'm afraid to say the name there. I've got Luca Dina here, because I think we settled on, we'll call him Luca Dean and then started calling him Dina somewhere along the way. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, can we get a judge's ruling on it? You're gonna to have to call a judge, mate, or you know, at least somebody, <laughs> somebody from France. 
<laughs> Somebody from the Luca Dean family. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then uh, the other one was uh, it's, it's more of a dig at you, Matip, Joel Matip. All right, like all these fucking bastards laughing at our pronunciation of words. Like any of the any of the non-Irish people listening to this fucking send on send on your attempts of spelling Quiva, Dervla, Gronya, or Ifa, and we'll see who's fucking laughing. <laughs> the winner obviously is Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently it's I don't even want to try it Norwich Norwich Norwich, Norwich. No, so it's definitely not Norwich which I think I was starting to add on a K there K-N-O-R <laughs> <laughs> Norwich of Halloween um, but the problem is I was delighted that, that Norwich were um, relegated so I wouldn't have that problem again and along comes Burnmouth <laughs> I didn't even realize that apparently I was pronouncing this wrong, and I assume like I'm trying to look at it and think it must be it must be Burnmouth, Burnmouth. I don't know. I don't know. A judge is ruling again, please. These fucking English cons. So what was the point <laughs> of creating a language and phonetics if you're just going to start spelling things differently to how they're pronounced? If it's not pronounced Burnmouth, don't call it Burnmouth. <laughs> you, you you make us speak it. We'll we'll show you how to speak it. <laughs> Um, the Norwich Award for Worst Commentary of the Season. <laughs> um, where has Andy Hinchcliffe gone? Where Where is that man gone? He you seemed know, to be on every single game and I can't find him anymore. Jim Beglin's eating his lunch, Connor. <laughs> uh, Andy Townsend needs a nomination. Boy, seems to get it wrong all the time. Gary Neville, probably the winner, really. Just... He's just lost. Like he's just too many people. He's trying to please now. He's too many agendas. I think we go right back to the start of the season. Like that was Solskjaer time back at the start of the season. It just came off the back of the the proclamation that England have the best manager they could possibly have, mm-hmm. and uh, it just persisted the whole way through. Like it was the season the the Pogba stuff as well, where he said the Pogba was the one to watch, and if they can find a position for him, blah blah blah. Lee Is Henry, yeah, Lee Henry deserves a nomination. Um, yeah, anybody else really? No, I think you've captured all the main concert, haven't you? Um, <laughs> the, the the thing that that does persist with annoying me is is whenever they're whenever they're watching stuff back and they just don't call it right. And Neville's in game commentary has become so bad because he's so desperate to protect himself and the the players that he wants to have a relationship with. I think there was a VAR check after Sterling dived. I think it was against Everton early on in the season, and Neville went for it. Like he's an idiot. What's he doing diving in there? Immediately the replay showed that it wasn't even in the same ballpark as a penalty. It wouldn't even have been a foul at a fucking tea party. And the check is happening for about two minutes, only because it's Man City, obviously. But I'm actually enjoying it because it's just getting more and more embarrassing for Neville. And it actually ends with the commentator asking, is there any contact? And Neville says, it's the way he stepped across him. Like that was now his criteria for a fucking penalty. And we had it again last night when a Ukrainian tickled Callum Robinson's calf of his toe and Stephen Kelly. Like, why is Stephen Kelly on co-commentator duty? Like, there's another one who feels you're Chris Kirkland. He wasn't a good enough player to be getting away with having so little charisma on TV. Like, Stephen Kelly? Fuck me. But Stephen Kelly has said it immediately that he thinks it's a penalty. And no matter how many replays that cunt saw last night, he wasn't backing down on that. Yeah. Yeah, that... that... I just don't understand, especially in the Neville one that you're talking about there, it's so easy to say, ah, yeah, look, he's made the most of it, really. You don't have to call him a wanker, but just... 
say what we're watching there and don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid to look at the replay and say, oh, geez, yeah, I got that wrong, actually. When I saw it first, I thought he was fouled, but looks like it's very soft. That's, like, that's all you have to say. Sterling knows he dives. Don't worry about it. Sterling's not going to think you're a punter. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all know what's going on, so it's all right. And, like, it is, like... Because I've seen a lot of, like, I watch a lot of his content in fairness in Neville. <laughs> um, and his interview with Declan Rice. And I think he spoke with, he spoke with Stephen Gerrard as well. And, like, you know, both times, like, through the player and the manager are talking about what the media have said. Declan Rice mm-hmm. is saying, like, yeah, I watch Monday Night Football and I've said, I, we watched the game back and seen young commentary. You're so right and stuff like that. It, it's, it's, it's making Neville too aware of what's going on. He's, mm-hmm. Gerrard was talking about, like, you know, being criticized by the media and stuff like that. And, Neville knows these boys are watching and he wants to interview them and he wants to be pals with them and he he's coached a lot of them and he probably I don't know maybe he's got ambitions to coach again maybe he's got ambitions to buy them for his bloody club whenever <laughs> they, they get uh, further forward but yeah he's it, too compromised in his thing like you know like a good cool commentator is just watching the game and enjoying it and calling it as it is that's all you need to do calling it as it isn't giving us insight not giving us this the insight that he wants the fucking players at home watching to, to hear yeah Veltman and Cucurella, how have these two cunts managed to stay off my radar for so long, the world? <laughs> First nomination, Veltman and Cucurella. After the Brighton game, you called them cheating, narky, pathetic bellends. <laughs> um, Wilfred Zaha has to be nominated, right? Um, I'll just go through the nominations, really. Aubameyang, remember his celebration after his penalty? Oh, my God. <laughs> after his missed penalty after his missed penalty and then disappeared obviously uh, Pep Guardiola just because and uh, Peter Schmeichel's son really came onto the radar this season <laughs> yeah so few those people actually in real life flew under my radar but Cucurella did and if anybody was in any doubt about how much of a cunt this lad is maybe they haven't seen him since that Brighton game but sure Pep Guardiola's after him now so there's all the evidence you need <laughs> <laughs> the the Jack Grealish being taken off against Newcastle that's the saddest thing I've ever seen award <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that there now on the spot that's what the big delay was about I'm actually quite proud of it <laughs> remember his face when he got brought off in the last two minutes of a game we had already won against Newcastle by god he's had to get used to that now <laughs> <laughs> he thought playing 88 minutes was torture um the saddest thing I've ever seen. You've already touched on the Matt Target face plants. <laughs> face planted against Chelsea as Lukaku was running through. Face planted a couple of times against Watford as as Emmanuel Dennis was running through. Newcastle fans, go back and watch the Watford game, first game of the season. Uh, did it against Brentford as well. I remember that. That was the last we saw of him. Um, Conan, it was against Sard that he face planted against Watford, and the only reason you think it was against Dennis because Sard did fuck all else for the rest of the season. So you're <laughs> you're assuming it was actually somebody good to put him on his face three times in a match. <laughs> I forgot Dennis is coming in on the left for one of the goals. Uh, crossed in, obviously from good play down the right for Watford. <laughs> they targeted target that game. Uh, Trezeguet's dive against Brentford was this oh. season. <laughs> that that's definitely one of the worst. I don't think we've seen him since then either, actually. In fairness to Gerard, if he doesn't like something, he'll get rid of you. Dean Smith I... taking over at Norwich. Well done. That that's that's one of the saddest things I've seen. Yeah, and that's one of the best things I've ever heard. You pronouncing it correctly there, just off the cuff. <laughs> Not even a second's delay there. Um 
<laughs> but Trezeguet dived like what? That's just, I think that might have been the last thing he did for Aston Villa as well. Yeah. He had the ball and he fell over. It was fucking pathetic stuff. Fell backwards. Fell backwards. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> the, the Solskjaer interview wasn't sad. It was fucking bizarre. It'd be like a a news reporter grabbing a drunk bus driver at the scene of a fatal crash and treating him like a hero because in the previous 20 years he had an unblemished record. Not one person killed on his watch. Fucking body bags being zipped up in the background while he's being thanked for his service. That was so fucking strange. The Solskjaer MUTV interviews you're talking about after he got sacked by Man United and they, they gave him a, a little red carpet to, to give one last final message to the fans. Yeah, it was fucking terrible stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely the worst. The only other nomination I have is Duncan Ferguson taking over at Everton, but not not that. The Everton board just sitting on us. Let's see how this one works out. This this might this might work out well. They, they, I got the feeling that they were just they were assessing how it might go as if this might be a long term solution. <laughs> Six sums up the mess that club got themselves into. Yeah, the weirdest thing about Duncan Ferguson is he he, he had the interim job a year and a half ago and he probably could have pushed to get the job and he didn't then why the fuck's he going back into the interim job he doesn't want to be a manager if he didn't take this the club that he loves job back then what the fuck was he thinking about going back in again this time and it was an absolute disaster and a waste of everybody's time <laughs> Valcao instead of Heskey what might have been <laughs> if you could take or if you could have taken one realistic player and put it into the Aston Villa team of, of 2021-22, who would you have taken? Like, who would have been the upgrade? So obviously the famous story is that Martin O'Neill chose Heskey instead of Falcao when he could have had Euler. <laughs> um, who would you have put in, dropped into that team, and who for? Jesus. The, the, the weird thing I, I think people don't understand about that one just to go back to it for a second is that Falcao would never have been a decent centre midfielder so I don't know why people think it's a big deal that we uh, we picked <laughs> <laughs> what game was that that was a thing he started there didn't he uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable um, I don't know about dropping into the 2021-2022 team but I think there's a realistic probability that you could probably try and go and get Marcus Rashford I would like to see Marcus Rashford being given a lash at Aston Villa next season. It's definitely a position that we need somebody in. And it's definitely a player that I think we could get if we pushed hard enough for it. He might end up costing a fortune. He might have absolutely no interest in it. But we might as well give it a rattle. Because I want to see us sign a winger and a striker. Marcus Rashford can fulfill both roles. And I just, I'm just a little bit... I just don't know how I feel about signing a racist cannibal. I would rather I would rather we we went for Marcus Rashford, <laughs> an old racist cannibal as well. <laughs> exactly. Suarez is a um, big name. He's won a lot. You know, yeah. That's part of me would actually you know if we sign Suarez, I'd say great. But we also have Cameron Archer there as well. If we are looking for a backup striker, like just a reminder, we have Cameron Archer. Can we invest in him a bit more? You talk about Rashford. Manchester United refute Tottenham Hotspur bid. That's what I'm reading here. Right. Okay. Like, I mean, maybe it is bullshit. Maybe maybe there is absolutely no hope. Maybe it's all paper talk. Maybe people are putting too much emphasis on the fact that Man United and Marcus Rashford had a dreadful season this year. And maybe I'm just desperately looking around for potential options. 
and there's not a lot out there to be honest it's, it's always a problem position to try and sign people in what about Jaylings? who Jaylings? <laughs> jesse lingard just in case it wasn't clear <laughs> no i couldn't have less interest in signing jesse lingard no like he's He's a cunt, and he's not enough. He's not a good enough footballer to be a, a cunt. No, no yeah. interest in in Jesse Lingard. I couldn't even remember what you called him. <laughs> yeah, if Jaylings had a went to, if he had a just signed for bloody West Ham this season, like it would have made so much more sense. Then you would have been talking about a proper player. Like we're always weary of signing a player on the way back down. Like look at Delhi Alley there. We've been stung before as well. Like, you know, Danny Drinkwater compared himself to a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> the best piece of analysis I've ever heard in media in fairness to Danny Drinkwater about himself too but uh, yeah he just he, I don't know like, there's Luis Suarez too like do we want somebody who's been just sitting idle Luis Suarez hasn't obviously he never sits idle but um, Jaylings definitely does a lot Luis Suarez will score 10 or 15 goals for Aston Villa if we do sign him so I wouldn't have that big a concern about him other than his character but Jesse Lingard thing Jesse Lingard the, these players, players who are knocking around the Premier League will always have a burning shining bright season only a half a season for Jesse Lingard as it turned out as they're coming towards the end of their career maybe when they're around 29 and people will think that they're a good player all of a sudden he's not, he just had a good run of form for West Ham don't fucking worry about it we've seen Jesse Lingard play for the last probably only 5 years because he's <laughs> because he's actually only made it through to the Man United team when he was 24 so like, don't worry about the fact that Jesse Lingard or like, don't be under any illusion that Jesse Lingard's a good footballer because he had a good run of form for West Ham and fucking Martinez gave him two goals in his first game as well like his fucking back was up immediately <laughs> that's so true that's so true alright we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to do a special edition of the Vyman meter we'll go through every player in the squad but don't worry it's not going to be as boring as it sounds <laughs> hang around <laughs> yeah. all these right get over it it's Aston Villa FC not Jack Grealish FC get a fucking grip <laughs> somebody called me a wanker let us mourn somebody called me a freak We've just gotten the news. It's devastating. We're upset. Somebody reported me to the Villa podcast on Twitter. <laughs> Did these people turn up to funerals or wakes saying, come on, get over it. It's the Doherty family, not the great Auntie Margaret family. It's time to find out what Uncle Jimmy's really made of. <laughs> time for Auntie Barbara to step up. <laughs> Fucking psychopaths, let me mourn. I'll rally around the Doherty family. I want them to do well. I want them to succeed, but I'm fucking devastated. It's not going to be the same without Margaret. R.I.P. Auntie Margaret. Alright, we're going to start with a Vyman meter. I want to do a higher or lower. I'm going to go through every player. Liam, I'm going to give you one player to start with, and then I'll give you the next player, and you tell me if that player should be higher or lower on the <laughs> Vyman meter. That's the last player. Thanks this for explaining like a, it twice, sir. <laughs> a Brucey bonus, uh, five millimeter. Bruce Forsyth, not Steve Bruce, for God's sake. Um, what we'll do to just to qualify it in some way, we'll we'll do players only who appeared in the Premier League this season. Um, and in the spirit of the five millimeter, this is not a player of the season award. I think we can both agree that Matt Cash was the player of the season. 
Ooh, I would have gone for Jacob Ramsey, but... Interesting, but I think that's just because you like him the most. Is that not true? <laughs> but I like him the most because he's your best player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can make a piece of Jacob Ramsey. Um, yeah, it's, it's my cashier, Jacob Ramsey, really. If look at Dean. Look at Dean. Had I been there the whole season, he would be in contention as well. Uh, but this is not about who was the best player or not. This is the Vyman meter, Mr. Andy Vyman who gave his all for the club. It's not that he was just somebody who worked hard, but he did have effect as well. And he busted his balls and he showed for the ball and he went again and he had that spirit. The Vyman spirit, everybody knows what it is now. Um, so just bear that in mind when we're doing the higher or lower. And I'll give you a player and then the next time I'll give you another player and then you tell me, is that player higher or lower than the last player? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with... Did Wesley play a Premier League game this season? No. <laughs> he did. He did. Remember the game he came on? Smith had everybody on. Oh, he put him, and then and then Wesley, he, I'm just looking at who he scored here. One minute. <laughs> he must have come on. And then he started dropping out to centre midfield. I remember that. He started doing the Heskey on it. He went out to centre midfield and tried to float Jeez. the balls in. It's like, right. you're in to do, you're on the pitch to get in for those balls. Who the okay. Fuck? Jesus Christ. Well, that's all the evidence we needed. Smith needed to go. <laughs> that wasn't this season, was it? Fucking hell. Season. If you can remember which game that was, please send it on. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's a good start. So. <laughs> Robin Olsen, higher or lower than Wesley? Jesus Christ, uh, higher. I mean, Olsen, sorry, his movement and footwork weren't great during the collapse against City and his performance in the first 10 minutes of that game were terrifying. But other than that, he seemed fine. I mean, for the, the 75 minutes, he wasn't out lobbying to get the Peter Enkham and what the fuck award renamed or wasn't conceding the goal every 90 seconds. It was pretty good. <laughs> so he's higher. What about Mr. Jed Steer? Higher or lower than Robin Olsen? You probably forgot that he played as well, but he did play. He played in the 3-0 defeat at Chelsea, where Villa were actually quite good in that game, but they, they lost 3-0. Story of our fucking lives. We'll leave Jed Steer higher than Robin Olsen just because of the stare down. Yeah, but the next game was the League Cup and they, they went to penalties, remember? And we thought, oh, here we go. We've got Jed Steer. <laughs> it's fine. Um... Mahmoud Trezeguet, higher or lower than Jed Steer. Trezeguet only appeared lower. one time. Lower, not even <laughs> Jed Steer could fucking win this award. <laughs> Just because he stared down Mason Holgate four seasons ago. <laughs> uh, two more players here. Let's just get these out of the way. They're obviously uh, products from the Smith era as well. So Philogene Bidesi and Davis also came on um, in the Premier League one time. Let's just keep Jed Steer Jed ahead. Steer's getting me. closer. <laughs> <laughs> he's almost there he's almost there um tim tim rugbyham uh he played three times this season they really did excite us what i like one time was i heard gerard talking about him playing in an under 23 match and he, he he just referenced tim drifting out of the game he started off really well and then just drifted and then he got it back you know rather than actually just dominating at that level like that that's that's experience there. That's a manager who's setting the bar for a young player who needs to realize he has to bring it every time he's on the pitch, wherever the pitch is. But Tim's higher than, than Jez Deer, right? Yeah, he couldn't have impressed me more in the minutes that he played. And there was one game where he did that for the seniors as well, where he uh, drifted out of the game and someone had a word with him and he snapped back in and he was flying into tackles again. 
yeah, brilliant. He was good. Cameron Archer, higher oh. or lower than Tim? This is this is getting tough here. Actually, now there's a couple. There's, there's another one after this. Uh, I'll, I'll leave Tim because Cameron Archer didn't push hard enough to stick around for the whole season. <laughs> uh, what about Courtney House? Higher or lower than Tim? Lower. Lower. Really? Gave us gave us our best result of the season. Every time Courtney was asked, he did. He was only asked seven times this season, unfortunately. Um, only four times to start. Wore the white polo neck to Cheltenham. I know you remember that. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, oh, look, I'll, I'll I'll leave it with you. If you want to put Courtney higher than Tim, that's fine. Let's go. Ah, let's keep Tim. Let's keep Tim. Bertrand Chirori, eight sub appearances, one start in the Premier League. Jeez, I wasn't too far off earlier, was I? Definitely lower. <laughs> Axel Twanzebe, oh my god, I forgot we... <laughs> this has been such a long season, like we started the season with a back three, remember that? And uh, yeah, he played nine times, started six, my god, like this, wow, <laughs> he was gone by January, incredible. Jesus Christ, Smith didn't know what he was doing those games, <laughs> lower. Um... So we're still, still Tim. Tim's winning so far. I'm Wiral Gazi. Now, this guy, do you remember his home match against Brentford? 1-1 yeah. draw uh, when he is first goal. El Gazi was unfucking believable that game. I feel, if, if you want to know what the saddest thing actually ever is, I know we did the award already, but if you go on to I'm Wiral Gazi's Instagram page, <laughs> now, there's been a bit more movement because it's summer now. But Amar Gazi signs for Everton in January, posts a picture, and then he doesn't post again until it's his birthday. <laughs> there's just no pictures, there's no training pictures. This boy just disappeared in Everton, didn't play, just didn't. What a pointless move, and we've lost a lot of money on it as well. Yeah, yeah, waste of time, and he didn't deserve that. He's a man who's done a lot of good things for Aston Villa done a lot of bad things as well but we don't need to dwell on them after the season he's just had after the forlorn birthday he's just had and a <laughs> score some great goals and a man you've compared to Cristiano Ronaldo more than once <laughs> but he is lower than Tim on the biometer so Tim still goes Morgan Sanson no or <laughs> I actually got somebody asking in our mentions um, should we should we cash in now, this is two separate questions anyway. Should we cash in on McGinn and Louise and, and prioritise Sanson? Absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> I I would pay someone to take Sanson off our hands. I think he's the most overrated player from the Villa fan base that we've ever had. And I'm actually a little bit excited about having Ramsey, McGinn and Dougie as options for our number eight positions. I mean, they've all shown they can play there and be brilliant there. And to have them playing there with an, an actual midfielder behind them should bring them on. I still want another midfielder. And if we get rid of McGinn or Dougie, I think it means we need another two and we'll not get two. So I'd, I'd also love to see McGinn's reaction to being dropped. I think if we, imagine if we were to sign Basuma and we had Kamara and Ramsey starting and McGinn couldn't get back in the team, I think that would just bring him on another level. For some reason, I just trust his vitamin spirit to make yeah. him an even better player. But Morgan Sansing can fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I get I, I get dragged into the Sanson trap a bit more, not as much as as the extremists out there, but you know I like the cut of his jib. I like I like a fast player. I like somebody who's nimble on his feet. Um, but he only played ten times this season, three starts. Maybe that's the argument in the other direction. But 
I'd be pretty much on your camp. Like, definitely not McGinn. Um, and like, yeah, I still expect way more from McGinn than the season he's had. It, it was great in some patches, but not enough and not, not week in, week out. <laughs> Louise, yeah, we want to see him more consistently in number eight. Ramsey, obviously. So, like, that's your three, and then get one more in there, and you've got four to four to work with. You've got Kamara, you've got Nakamba. I don't know, we're going to get, get somebody else. Like, Cal Phillips, like, every time I watch this boy now, he's coming off injured. I, I don't want, like, the amount of games he played this season, I don't want to touch him, really, especially for the money he's going to cost. Yeah, I've never been particularly enthralled with uh, Calvin Phillips. Never really seen seen the hype around him. He moves around pretty well around the ground, and he can hit the ball long, but he doesn't necessarily understand when to hit it long. Tim or Carney Chuck Wemmiga? Tim. This is yeah. bizarre. Tim's probably got about seventy minutes under his belt this season. <laughs> he's already beaten half the squad. <laughs> he's completely uncorrupted though. Like his stock has gone up by not playing as much. The rest of them are poisonous now. You've seen them too much, and obviously there's off the field stuff with Carney as well that we like cleared up. I think this is Tim's time though. Callum Chambers. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I I think it's probably fair enough to knock him down. Callum Chambers was impressive in the games that he played after the first four or five. He've had a handful of not very good performances, and then he got a lot better. Still, wouldn't be as interested in playing Callum Chambers every game as some people appear to be. I don't think he has enough play- pace to play at the level I want Aston Villa to get to, but he was good and he scored a fucking screamer and played <laughs> one of the best passes that's ever been played in the sport that I love. Yeah, one of many. And like that, talking about the spirit, this boy getting on the ball, making things happen. Yes, he's playing centre half, but it doesn't stop him <laughs> drifting up up top and demanding possession. And he'll... <laughs> He'll thread someone, he'll, he'll whip it into the top corner. Yeah, I think Chambers I think Chambers is in the hot seat right now. Go for it. Marvelous Nakamba. Chambers is still driving. Ooh, you think like after the season Nakamba's had, like it was so unfortunate that he he got injured when he did. He was the man. Like he was like, Oh my god, his boy's re rejuvenated under Gerard. Yeah. For about oh. six games, as far as I can remember, got really badly injured, and it was shit. And it's amazing that he came back, and he came back fairly quickly. But he wasn't good when he came back either. Yeah. Okay. Chambers. Chambers are my target. <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> Jesus. Chambers walks all over my target, and mostly because my target lying face down in the ground. <laughs> Chambers or Leon Bailey. Chambers, Jesus Christ! A lot of shit bags got a lot of minutes this season, Con. <laughs> um, so I've I've got one here that's going to be a tough one to knock off. I think Ashley Young. Yeah, Ashley Young. Ashley Young would be hard to knock off. Oh, hang on. Let me just put the case forward for this man: left back, right back, centre midfield, number ten, left attacking midfield. Like whatever this boy was asked to play, he played and he did it well. Usually, he gave it his all. He uh, he filled in for target when he had to be dropped. He he got the thing going. You know, I want the people to get on referees' cases and show a bit of passion. Ashley Young always brought that as well. Um, Sorry, and maybe you're right. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not thinking coherently enough about the the Vimeo meter and the the spirit of Andy. And yeah. Ashley Young did fulfill all those roles. You said did it well. I think that's probably putting too fine a point on it. He definitely oh, did man. it. And maybe I was being a bit harsh on Nakamba as well. Nakamba is above Chambers, but I would say you're right. Young is above Nakamba. Is Young above Ezri Kanza? Yeah, Ezri Kanza was a fucking disaster after Stephen Gerrard came in. He, he couldn't have he couldn't have played worse in the 
25 games or whatever it was Stephen Gerrard had. Um, really horrible injury, just when he seemed to be getting his form back in that game yeah. as well. He wasn't doing anything particularly bad in that game. But he wasn't He wasn't good under Stephen Gerrard. He was second-guessing himself. He was diving. Yeah, like Ezra Conza had a disappointing end of the season. And I remember whenever Dean Smith got sacked, Ezra Conza and Matty Cash were the only players that went out on social media immediately and said thanks for everything. And that made sense because they were the only two players who hadn't let Smith down. They were the two players who were playing at a decent level at that stage. But Jesus Christ, did Ezra Conza fall <laughs> on the cliff? Yeah. Yeah, could have went the other way. You could have had the cash. You could have had the Conza. You went the Conza. Is oh, Ashley Young the finish line is in sight? Ashley Young is he above or lower than Danny Ings? He's above Danny Ings. Danny Ings. The finish. <laughs> the lethal Danny Ings was only fucking lethal towards me because I was thinking about doing things I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> 20 or 30 Premier League appearances, seven goals. Um, yeah, obviously, he's Mr. Rosenthal this season. Worked very hard, we know that. Like, he, he worked harder than most people. He was, he's smart with his defending. He, um, he's a good defensive player for a striker, which isn't a massive attribute that you're looking for. Um, he, he, some games he, he did really well. That one he came on and pinged that pass. Like, he, he's some nice passes as well, but like, yeah, Young, I still think, is ahead of him. Ashley Young or Douglas Louise? Ashley Young. <laughs> yeah, this is a... <laughs> getting you, you, get, you getting worried about the fact that Ashley Young might want our Andy Bowman? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Scanning through the page, you're looking for any other player. Ashley Young or John McGinn? John McGinn was John McGinn wasn't good under either regime really he came to life a bit more under Gerrard he was given a bit more freedom in those games whenever Nakamba was there John McGinn was a lot stronger obviously and understandably but and even again I remember when when Tim was playing as well John McGinn again was brilliant but you know Nakamba and Tim didn't play very many games and John McGinn wasn't good without them Ashley Young still in the league. yeah I yeah, I, I can accept that's the young one ahead of him. I, I'm just thinking of the amount of tackles John McGinn won. It's <laughs> incredible. Like I do think we, we take it for granted that he just wins ball back better than most people. He gives it away probably better than most people as well. But um, yeah, no, m- maybe the frustrating thing about McGinn is that he showed often enough, like, you know, no, sorry, not often enough, but he showed it in patches that he's really good. And that's really annoying when you've got a player like that is not just doing it all the time. Um. Only three goals as well. Like I want to see a bit more. Like, I know this boy is sort of hamstrung by the position that we have him in, but you know, we, we, we know we can get forward. We know we can break into the box. He doesn't seem to move on the ball enough anymore. You will see more from John McGinn this season. You absolutely will. And yeah, John McGinn gets through a lot of work and he puts in a lot of tackles, but he also played a lot of fucking games in centre midfield for a team that was constantly overrun in centre midfield as well. And I don't think that should ever be forgotten. Yeah. All right, Ashley Young, let's go. <laughs> Ashley Young or Ollie Watkins? See, the Andy Vyman meter really suits Ollie Watkins. I mean, I think there was a stage last season where we were, we were talking about the fact that you could nearly fucking rename it after this man because the amount of tireless runs that this guy does. It still pisses me off. <laughs> Unbelievably, the amount of his finishing ability as well. But in the spirit of Andy Vyman and in the fact that I want someone other than Ashley Young to win this award, I'm going to say... That Ollie Watkins is ahead of Ashley Young. 
it just creates a lot of chances for himself as well. If we can, uh, if we can deter around the Ireland game last night again, <laughs> you Chidozi know, Benny is getting a bit of criticism, but it's like this boy is making so much stuff happen. There's just a lot being asked for him, and I know he's raw sometimes, and I know he, he lacks a bit of deftness, but it's him that's creating a lot of these chances, and it's the same for Watkins. He misses too many, but by God, like he causes havoc, and he he works his balls off. Yeah, he, he's such a good out ball, and he is mostly the reason why he keeps getting so many chances as well because he's just so fucking strong, really. <laughs> like he's so strong and he just barges his way through a lot of the time. Yeah, it's almost like playing a League One right winger as your centre forward isn't going to result in a lot of goals for your international team. But um, actually, <laughs> Ollie Watkins is is a player to like. It is undoubtedly a player to like in the same way that we love. Andy Vyman, but he's got a lot more quality than Andy Vyman ever had. So, Ollie Watkins is in the driver's seat. Is he higher or lower than Luca Dina? Luca Dina is higher than Ollie Watkins. Okay. Is Luca Dina higher in the Vyman meter than Tyrone Mings? Yes. He is. Tyro Mings was absolutely brilliant the last 10 games of the season. It was probably the most consistent and the longest run of good form that he's had for Villa, all or done in the championship. He was really, really good and made very little, very few mistakes. But look at Dini was absolutely incredible. He was definitely our best player in those last 10 games. Um, his quality on the ball, his desire to get back, coming back from bad injuries and coming back really quickly from them as well. He was, he was insanely good. Isn't it ironic that Tyrone Mings' best form for Villa in the Premier League coincides with him being dropped from the England squad? <laughs> He's finally put a run together in Southgate, who includes six centre-halves and five right-backs in his squad. That's not an exaggeration. He can't find room for him, then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we spoke about fetishes earlier, but that's, that's one that we did in another <laughs> podcast to try and figure out on a degree in psychology. <laughs> Is Lucadinha higher or lower than Emiliano Buendia. Oh, higher. I I think I think he's I think Luca Dean was so so good for his entirety of the time that he was at Aston Villa. Buendia has gone in and out of games and of and during the season as well. Um, he was dreadful when he first joined. <laughs> it seems a long time ago now. Whenever one of us I can't remember which one declared him as the <laughs> the worst player pound for pound that Villa had ever. Had. Um, <laughs> he has come a long way. I got that. <laughs> that does deserve uh, highlighting anyway. Like he's got, he's, he, like he was so so annoying to start off with. Like he was a wee whinging bastard and he wasn't playing well. But then, like the way he reacted to being dropped and and, and playing so well, he continued to being dropped and he kept coming on. He kept looking for the ball. Kept making mm. things happen. Kept bringing joy to matches when it was so bad for so long. Oh yeah, I think I would make the case for Bundia above. Look at the- yeah, I actually forgot about the being drop dynamic and not being a little cunt about it because he's given us every reason to believe that he is a little cunt. Like, you know, he doesn't like things going against him. He does spin around with his hands out and spitting his spitting his dummy out. And he didn't do that whenever he's been dropped. And yeah, maybe you're right. Let's go. Emiliano Buendia or his compatriot, Emiliano Martinez. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Martinez is he'd let a lot of penalties in in the second half of the season. <laughs> he didn't get near any of them. He dived out of the fucking way of an Ashley Barnes penalty as well. Like, and that's that will always be held against him as far as I'm concerned. 
<laughs> so we're going with Buendia then. Buendia or Matt Cash? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think Matt Cash was as good in the last the last month as a lot as a lot of people made out. He definitely fell off a little bit in terms of his quality and the things that he was doing on the ball. But Matt Cash was consistently during the season. I think I said it during a few times or a few times during the season that he was our player of the year, and I think he he has to he has to take the spot at the minute. The only player to play thirty eight games as well. It's always impressive when you see that. Yeah. Um, and the only player to hit forty for appearances the whole season. Um, Matt Cash or Philip Coutinho? <sighs> oh Jesus. Uh, <laughs> And remember, remember his wee grey blazer and the, the black jumper on the Oh, Conan, how could I forget? Because <laughs> you keep fucking bringing it up. It is it is difficult to forget. <laughs> Philip Coutinho is everything that we're all supposed to love about football. You know, that's he's the, he's the reason that people, like literally the reason people enjoy watching football. And he did it so often for Aston Villa. And even during his purported bad stage, whenever he wasn't getting as many goals and assists as he had been in his first, as as the insane amount that he got in his first seven games, he was still creating an awful lot for Aston Villa and Aston Villa were missing an awful lot of chances on the back of that. Oh, it's a tough one. I'll let you decide. Uh, yeah. I, I think I still can't get Coutinho not playing 90 minutes out of my head. <laughs> I think it was the Southampton game where we, were, we we saw, oh yeah, this boy's getting fitter now, and just kept bringing him off after seventy minutes. Not not his fault as well, obviously for the most part, but uh, you know he it is his fault for not still hitting the same numbers and, and having the same impact after sixty minutes in the game. He's been he's allowing people to take him off. I, I want them to just force Gerard to never take him off, basically. Um, well, anyway, obviously everything else goes without saying that Coutinho brings and that I love about him, that he shows for the ball, makes things happen. But uh, I, I can't overlook Matt Cash. I think, uh, yeah, I, I just think he's he he epitomised everything good about Villa. A lot of frustrating things in Matt Cash as well. But by God, he kept bombing up that line and bombing back down it when somebody lost the ball. Usually, it wasn't him losing it. Sometimes he he would cross it off somebody's ankles. But a lot of the time, he was away <laughs> flying. And people would just lose the ball in the middle of the pitch or try a blind pass. It wasn't happening. And it was Matt Cashback to pull out the fire again then as well. Just every which road. Like we were talking about how good a defender he was from last season. but um, And he kept that up this season and just added the whole new attacking dimension. Yeah, and especially last season whenever you, you had introduced an award, did Matt Cash get forward? And Jesus Christ, did he get forward this season? <laughs> right enough, right enough. Last one. Matt Cash or Jacob Ramsey? Oh, look at that worked out. <laughs> I think it has to be JJ, right? <laughs> What's going on here? I don't, I don't like me to do I think this is some sort of mind game you're trying to get me to talk myself around just to argue with you because I'm a contrary cunt and you're trying to get Matt Cash to win this award. <laughs> I just, I, well, I couldn't end it with Matt Cash or, you know, Fred Gilbert. <laughs> How do you have somebody that would be a big... A big challenge to Matt Cash, and I think it is. It's, it's a tough challenge because Matt Cash is bloody holding that that position with a lot of poise and a lot of promise. If you ask me, and uh, yeah, I'd be happy to keep Cash there, but I'd also be quite happy for Jacob Ramsey to win the Vaiman Meter of the season. 
I, I think a really important thing to remember about about Jacob Ramsey is that for the entirety of last year, he was he was 20 years old and he's a centre midfielder. I mean, that is just to perform at that level in that position at that age is insane stuff. I mean, that just doesn't normally happen. And he had his own personal goal of the season competition as well. <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> certainly can't be overlooked. Jacob Ramsey was... Jesus Christ, I mean, what what a revelation he was this year. And we called it at the start of the year. We said there's absolutely no worries about Jacob Ramsey. He's going to have a big, big season. And you could see that at the tail end of the season four. And Christ almighty, did he deliver on that? I think he came in for his first game. Was it against, might have been against Newcastle or something like that, and lit the place up and he just kept going. He just kept going. And Jesus, whenever he goes as well, as you know, Connor. When he caught. goes, yeah. When, when you see he's back, it's already too late. Um, yeah, I think Ramsey wins. Let's let's do some questions we can't answer, but probably will before we run out of time in life to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if if you have any suggestions at the Vima Meter, get in touch with us on uh, on Twitter mostly if you want. Get us on email too. But the first question we can't answer, but probably will, is from Paul. Why does Liam hate accountants? <laughs> I don't have anything against accountants. I've just said a few times last year that there were games I was watching where I would literally have preferred to sift through a stranger's inane, humdrum, oxidized lignin beige receipts to categorize some of their spend and save them a couple of quid than watch Aston Villa. <laughs> All right, that's, uh, that's that answer. <laughs> Son Hyung Ming is a Premier League top goal scorer. Not nominated for the PFA Player of the Year, though, was he? <laughs> um, you know, you, you might just think he could write off a top goal scorer. It's not that important. Obviously, it is. But you know, like Cristiano Ronaldo's in there. And if Cristiano Ronaldo's not in there for his goal scoring, what is he in there for? And this boy who's been playing on the left, playing second fiddle, not hitting any penalties, is uh, not even nominated. He got top goal scorer in the whole season. John McSala, obviously. And he's not even nominated by his fellow peers. What the fuck is all that about? Yeah, like, you know, footballers no ball, apparently. Like, do they fuck? I mean, all we have to do is listen listen to any live match to know that's absolute bollocks. Like, they, they don't even know ball when they're watching the game with 60, 60 cameras and as many replays as they want. So how the fuck could they possibly be able to tell that Son is an incredible player and was brilliant all year? And even the players he was nominated against as well. Like, was Van Dijk even Liverpool's best defender? This year, I'm not, yeah, I'm that's not, harsh on Matip. Matip. I'm, not, I'm not so sure he was, and like Ronaldo, it's it's impressive that Ronaldo scored so many goals for such a bad team. But like, come on, I mean, Son scored more for a team that was struggling a lot more than Man United were at the start of the year as well. And he's absolutely electric, and he's a brilliant player to watch. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be like. Scotty Pippen getting the most points of the whole season, you know, more than anybody else in the NBA, and not getting nominated to be Player of the Year. Like that's you know, doing that on a team with Michael Jordan and still not getting nominated. The next question we can't answer, but probably will. <laughs> Is this the best way to try and get inside Erling Haaland's head? Uh, so after Sweden played Norway, Norway, Norway. <laughs> Norway Haaland came out and, and said about Alexander Milosevic first he called me a whore 
which I, which I can assure you I'm not. <laughs> then he told me he was going to break my legs. Then I scored a minute later. <laughs> if you see the goal, it's brilliant. It's on his right foot. It goes over the top one. The defenders makes a howler. It looks like Harry McGuire actually on the left side of the fence. And uh, Haaland's on his right tight angle, drills into the bottom corner, turns around him. Lost the to say, what do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, bit bizarre for him to come out so strong on the defensive about his sexual proclivity. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a 21-year-old multi-millionaire professional athlete. I mean, if he's not whoring himself around, he's, he's doing it wrong, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the last one is an email. I love this. It's an email from Jim. Uh, so they like, love the show, yada yada yada. People don't need to hear that. Um, although I have said it, um, he said, "This is the crux of it." My friend at work has been organising a game of five aside for over a year now, but as we've brought more people along to fill in over the weeks, the best players have stuck around. Okay, and the standard is very high now. The games are epic sometimes, and we're talking about keeping the same teams for a period to see if that makes the competition even bigger. Uh, yeah okay so keep the same teams you know who you're in the team with every week only problem is my friend at work is way below standard <laughs> but, but it's his game what's the play here should we put up with it or try to move him aside <laughs> get rid of him <laughs> some some lad just running around who can't pass the ball to because he doesn't know where to run to and if he did he couldn't control it anyway fuck that <laughs> Some lad playing against you, standing like a fucking statue, making your defense split and pass look completely ordinary. Just get rid of him. Like it, it's not his game; it's the people's game. That's yeah. all he has to remember. Like you can't have one bad player in a game of five aside. There are only eight players outfield. Like that's, that's a game of three or three on four. Fuck that. Like I'm, I'm surprised they're having good games. To be honest, games of five aside are always decided by the worst player. And if there's one way below the standard, that should be a fucking murder in session. The only thing I can think of that's happening here is that is that the emailer is also shit, but he just doesn't know it. So he should <laughs> he's probably keep his mate around, to be honest. If you can't spot the sucker at the table, it's probably <laughs> not, not, that's so true. Like it, it's it's never about who is the best players, it's always about who has the weak link. If they get caught out then if it's if there's an imbalance. Like one suggestion I'd have is to get a player of his standard. And just make sure it's not in the same team, so you both have an imbalance, maybe, or you both have this, the same balance, really. Maybe encouraging to go into nets. It's, <laughs> it's hard, like, because you're right. It's it's not his game, and especially if now like they've got a set team, like they, they like he's, he's got no work to do. Remember, we were trying to fucking round up. Me and you were playing every week, and you're trying to round up three other players for the league. <laughs> three players, it was a fucking. We had a keeper as well most of the time, so you're just trying to get two players. You have a week to do it. And it's hard, like it's like obviously we're trying to get players who were decent as well, so it's probably your own fault, really. But <laughs> it's hard. But if 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 he if Jim's telling me that everybody wants to stay in the same team, so they're obviously going to show up every week. So this guy doesn't have to do any work anymore. He's just showing up as well. So it is no longer his game. It's just the the question is how do you how do you get rid of him? Like it's not well, well and good saying get rid of him, but like how do you say? Thanks for this. We we're all enjoying each other's company now. You can piss off. Send around, send around the preemptive message saying I'm about to send out the text here saying who wants to play and everyone else respond immediately. Yes, there's too many people in the group, and yeah. now it's just going to be first come first serve. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's what it has to be. It, the other thing you could, the other thing you could do is just convince the four best players to to join them and go play in a power league somewhere. But like, you know, that's that's where the real fun is. But if they say no, then the emailer will know that he is actually also shit as well. <laughs> and I, I I do have my doubts about this. This is <laughs> Jim. You need to prove yourself. <laughs> Either send in a video of how good you are. None of this uh, kick-up shit. We can all do a bit of kick-ups. Like, you know, let, let's see a bit of action in the five-inside pitch. Or just find out, yeah. Like, you know, if you don't want to prove it to us, just, just make sure you're not the shit player. Find out of everybody else first. And uh, if you do, let us know. Definitely be interested in a follow-up. <laughs> Well, thanks a million for listening. Thanks a million for listening all season. Really do uh, appreciate it. Um, if you have any more emails like that, that that's actually a bit of crack. I don't know what we call a life advice section or <laughs> we just slot into questions we can't answer, but send it along anyway. We'd be more than happy to, to help you out. Um, and that's us really for the season. We'll be back some stage, I suppose, in August, I think. But keep in touch. You know where we're at. We're on Twitter at the Villa Podcast. We're on Gmail at the villa podcast at gmail.com forget that first at that will <laughs> balls up the email address the villa podcast at gmail.com uh thanks again for listening yeah please share it on um it'd be good if we could get another push ahead of the next season as well so anybody that you think might enjoy it please send it on like, this has been a long podcast so if you're still here thank you and we will see you later all the best Get on.